Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to the Mainland Podcast. I am Michael Citro, the founder, founder and uh, managing editor of TheMainland.com. If I can't really speak, but I did actually manage to found the, the website, believe it or not. And uh, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. We are back, and uh, we're, we're not real thrilled at what we've seen out of the Lions the last couple of games, but we are here to talk about it anyway. And... Uh, you know, maybe we can, you know, get through this together. Uh, joining me for this episode number 66 of the Mainland Podcast is one of our senior writers, senior columnists, Austin David. Austin, how are you this week? Uh, could have been better with an Orlando win, but uh, I'm doing pretty good. You are doing good, actually, because uh, you have now done the broadcast for two Orlando City B games and an Orlando City game and now you're going to do Orlando Pride. Yeah. Uh you you were on the radio call for the uh 4-1 defeat to Columbus Crew SC and uh, you'll be doing the Pride finale for YouTube. I will indeed. The hardest part of doing that game this past Saturday was keeping enthusiasm knowing that Orlando was playing just incredibly bad. Uh but we we managed to get through it. Me and um former Canadian international, Robbie Aristodemo. Uh, we actually kind of worked well together because we, we were kind of being negative the entire time. Um, but we, we kept our enthusiasm and, and, you know, had some feedback saying, like, uh, you know, you kept the game fairly interesting. So that was fun. Well, that's good. You know, I'm glad you got good feedback because uh, I know this is something that you enjoy doing and you do it for also for Rollins as well. And, and um you know, you're you're doing a bang up job, and we're happy to have you out there, repping the mainland. Even if even if you don't get to like give us a plug every five minutes the way I'd like you to. <laughs> um, and it it does it did suck to to uh, to go through that four one loss after you know back to back wins that where the team actually looked very good against New York City, you know one of the better teams in the East, and then against Montreal on the road with you know a, a comfortable win on the road for a change, and then. You know, the Galaxy game, you, you sort of go, okay, they've been on the road for a full week, away from home, traveled out west, the Galaxy's a good team, you kind of write that off. And then they come back and they play Columbus, the last place team in the Eastern Conference, you think here's a great chance to get uh, to get back in the saddle, get three wins out of four, and, and you know, solidify the, the spot maybe that, that uh, in the race for that eighth spot. And, you know, despite, you know, a possession advantage, a shots advantage, you go out and you, you ship four goals and get, give, again, continuous breakaways. Not just breakaways, but two against the goalie. Not two against a defender in the goalie, but two against the goalie multiple times uh, against Joe Bendick. And, you know, he's just left hanging out to dry. Now, some of that obviously is a new center back pairing with both Aha and, and Mateos out. But <laughs> there's no reason for MLS players to be giving up chances like this on a regular basis. What is going on? You know, and it's funny you you mentioned the the statistical thing because in the post game show on the radio, uh, I was talking about that to both Robbie and Eric Lieben, who's a another guy I've done games with. Um, and you know, Robbie said, you know, it's it's really not about the stats because the stats can lie uh, if you just look at those. Um, obviously, four four goals, three of them being pretty very easy breakaways for Columbus, uh, and then the one own goal that Seb Hines ended up somehow heading in. Um, but you know, it's, it's funny how the team prepared for exactly what Columbus did to them. So CJ Brown, who's the, the defensive 
guy on the coaching staff. He works with the defense. He mm-hmm. talked to, to um, uh, Jeff Radcliffe and Tom Traxer before the game, uh, and we used some sound bites for the radio broadcast. And he said exactly what Columbus would try and do. And he said, we've worked on it. We know how to stop them. It's just all about communication with the back line and making sure we track the runners. And we've worked on this the entire week, so we should be good. And mm-hmm. guess what happened? They didn't do any <laughs> of that at all. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they don't know what is coming and how to defend it. It's just a recognition issue, it seems like. Yeah, absolutely. It's it, And it boggles, you know, it boggles everybody's mind how you can train for it, you know what to do, and then the transition from practice to games just has a disconnect. It's it's really kind of, it's been a frustrating season in many respects for Orlando City, but the defense has been probably the most frustrating. And to see all of this happen, especially for the preparation that they went through to try and fix it, to still have letdowns like this, it's just, I mean, what as a coaching staff, what can you do to fix it? Uh, I think you get new players. I think that's the only way you fix it, Um, which is, you know, it it sounds sarcastic and, and, uh, you know, I'm not actually trying to make light of this. It's just the fact that this is a team that, you know, again, they they seem to be on it for two games, um, you know, played well defensively against New York City and against Montreal for the most part. And, you know, again, the Galaxy game, you figure that's a bit of an aberration, but apparently... They found something, and uh, Columbus obviously exploited whatever it was that L.A. found because it's now two games in a row, and and they're sitting here looking for answers. And this is not the time of year you need to be looking for answers. This is the time you you need to be putting together a couple of wins to get into that playoff spot, and uh, it's just not happening for Orlando City. And with the games that are coming up, two games with D.C., uh, it's not an easy place to play in RFK. They... You know, the D.C. United has a winning record there. Um, not quite as good of a winning record as they normally have, but still a winning record. Going to Toronto, very difficult place to play. Uh, it, it doesn't look good um, for, for Orlando City right now, but it's easy to look back at the last game and say it doesn't look good because of this when, you know, just a couple games ago it looked really good. So, I mean, it could turn in a heartbeat. Yeah, absolutely. But the way that the the team has been playing, it's just so back and forth. You know, they played up to a tougher competition and then played down to a lower competition in Columbus. And you could mm-hmm. argue that Columbus, you know, is better than their record says because um, they have one of the best passing accuracy uh, percentages in all of MLS. But still, you know, those are games you have to win at home. Uh, the the situation with the playoffs coming around the corner, they need to win games, especially when they're at home, because away games are very hard to come by, not only for MLS teams in general, but for Orlando City, because they only have two road wins all of the entire season. Mm-hmm. And so you put the pressure coming into this game now against DC United, at DC United, it, they have to win this game in order to you know, stay afloat in the playoff race, or else... It really doesn't look good. Now, Jason Christ tried to spin this a little bit, saying that he thought that there wasn't any pressure on after the loss to Columbus because there would be more pressure if they were trying to defend being above the line than trying to attack the line. And uh, are you buying any of that? Because I'm not. Nah, not really. I mean, it's it's coach speak. 
you know, the one thing I'll give Jason Chris credit for is he's he's trying to keep positivity. Uh, even in the press conference after the the four one loss, he's you know he was saying there's still positives to take away from this game, and we're going to learn from it. And it, it's it's you know the difference between him and, and Adrian Heath is very evident, uh, not only stylistically but the way uh, they kind of treat the, the press conferences. If if Adrian Heath was up there after the four one defeat, he'd probably be on his players, on himself. We didn't do enough, you know, a, a lot of passion in it. And then Jason Christ is just like. You know, we, we, we learned a lot. We'll come back better. You know, it's 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 something to get used to still. Yeah, they're, you know, definitely a contrast in styles. Jason Kreiss is a, you know, he's one of those guys who he never gets too high, never gets too low. Adrian wore his heart on his sleeve. He, he was very up and very pleased after wins and very down and very discouraged after losses sometimes. And, you know, it, except when the team played well and just didn't get a result, then he would, you know, he would kind of have a mixture of, you know, they, we played well enough to get a point, and unfortunately we didn't. And, you know, it, it was, uh, but he was definitely more emotional than Jason, I would say. And, uh, you know, Jason Christ, more cerebral, more even-keeled kind of guy. And, and I don't know really still if he's if he's fully evaluated the players he has. And that's an ongoing process. And he said that was going to be the, the focus through the rest of the year and that, his hope was that they could make the, the postseason, but the, the hole was pretty deep that they had dug, and he wasn't making any promises. As uh, I mean, that's just good for career longevity. Don't make any promises and come in and do your evaluation. And then, uh, you know, starting next year, he should have the players he wants in place and, you know, be playing the system he wants to play. And, you know, whether that continues to be, a, you know, a 4-2-3-1, whether it's a 4-3-3, whether it's a 4-4-2 diamond, we'll wait and see. But it's going to be dictated by personnel, and right now he probably doesn't have the personnel he'd like to play the 4-4-2 um, regularly. Not enough strikers, for one thing. Yeah, um, and, and that's the thing with, with coming in midseason and having to kind of inherit uh, what roster and what personnel that the team had beforehand. And it was past the uh, the transfer deadline, so there was no way that he was going to come in and, and try and make any big decisions especially only with a you know a few days notice of of coming in and actually being hired so that kind of just kind of put them on a a back heel uh right to begin with so end of the season probably a lot of players that are going to be moving on from orlando city and some some players that uh possibly have played for jason christ beforehand i i wouldn't uh put it out there that some former RSL players maybe come back, maybe maybe Ned Grabavoy, just as a, a veteran <laughs> presence. You know, it's he knows Jason Kreis's style and he can help uh, kind of lead the team. He may not play very often, but he'd be the kind of guy that you would bring in just to kind of help the transition. Maybe you know, an extra coach on the field, kind of exactly the Lewis Neal kind of player that Adrian Heath had in 2015. Oh, let's let's not go there. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, he, I think Lewis actually missed another sitter uh, last weekend oh uh, for OCB. Uh, anyway, it's a 4-1 loss. I'm not. We're, obviously, we're not going to get too bogged down in the details because it was a 4-1 loss. I mean, uh, all you can do is say the game was effectively over by the half, and um, they did score uh, a goal. Kyle yeah, had they a did nice score goal. a goal. Yep. Uh, and that brings us to our man of the match. And uh, you know, my selection is. You don't have much to pick from, so I'm going to go with Kyle Aaron for scoring the goal. 
who was who did you see as the man of the match? You you, you had a much you had a much better view of the game than I did. I got a, a, a my fill basically by halftime, and I was uh, I was off doing some other things that I had to do this weekend. Yeah, so to be fair, you were lucky that you were at home and didn't have to actually like sit in the press box and watch it. <laughs> yeah, it was probably the the right game to miss. Exactly. Uh, but no, uh, I, I don't miss many, and that was probably the good one to miss. Am I allowed to pick the fans as the man of the match because they had to sit through that? Um, no, that's a cop-out, number one. Uh-huh. And number two, I heard some boos, and I don't like hearing boos for the players because even when they're playing poorly, it's not like they're out there not trying. I don't know if it was play- it boos for the players. I think it was just boos to the fact that four goals were scored against them by a team that the fans hate. And I think they were booing Columbus for scoring the goals. I'm going to so? spin it that way. I don't know if it was <laughs> okay. that. I'm going to spin it that way and, and right. let it ride. Uh, All right. no. I was going to ask you if you really believe that, but I'll let it go. Uh, that that's that's questionable. But no, the the uh, Kyle Aaron's probably the easiest choice for for man of the match. I don't know if he really did enough to be considered man of the match in terms of like mm-hmm. overall game. But again, he scored a goal. Did anyone? <laughs> I mean, right. I can't that's really point. To, I, I mean, I think I, I think Matias Perez Garcia is a guy you can maybe talk to talk about a little bit. But I mean, there there weren't a lot of strong performances. I mean, and it was all over the pitch. It wasn't one guy. It was. It was a combination of things, and um, you know, it, it was I, I, again man of the match by default, really. Yeah, just like uh, Joe Bendick has been so many times this year. Yeah, exactly. And you can't really do it this time for Bendick because <laughs> you shipped four goals, and yeah, I mean, he, he was, was kind of left on yeah. an island, but it's still, you know, it may, if he makes if he makes a couple of those, maybe he's he's we're talking about him more. I don't know, but. Um, yeah, it's it's been a long season. There's five games left in the regular season now. Uh, DC United coming up on the road this weekend. Uh, our Gavin Eubank is he's going to be there. Whether or not he's going to be in the press box still remains to be seen. As we <laughs> have hitting some snags at getting some uh, communication back from the uh, from the PR staff at DC United, but hopefully that'll all get sorted out. Um, but he'll be there and. and be doing the recap live from the road, doing the live tweeting. And, um, you know, it, it's now or never. I mean, Orlando last year went on that uh, that run at the end of the season. If they went on that kind of a run to end this season, it would be pretty much a, a an automatic, you know, playoff spot. I mean, with the, with the way that this Eastern Conference is this year and how tight it is, five straight wins to end the season, that would be... That would be plenty, I think, to get to get above. Well, it would certainly be above D.C. because two of those wins would be against D.C. And then, you know, I can't expect the Revolution to win their last five games. Yeah, it's still a tough ask, though. I mean, oh yeah, it's, it's, sure. it's considering the schedule that Orlando City does have going into it. But, you know, you look at last year, Orlando City, how many points did they end up having? They had um, 46 or 44 points. Uh, on the season. Right, this year, with five games left, they have... How many points do they have? 34. So That's not enough. No. And they didn't make the playoffs with 44 last year. They were five points short, with the Toronto getting 49. So I don't even know if Orlando City can get to 44. Again, they'd have to win at least three out of their five games and draw two just to get to the 44, which, again, isn't wasn't enough last year to make the playoffs. 
Well, if they have 34, by my math, they would have to draw one and, and win three to get right. 44. Uh, but yeah, it, it wasn't enough last year. But the thing is, this year, it doesn't look like that line is going to be as high this year. It looks like because of the, the way the Eastern Conference has beaten on each other and drawn so many games. You know, Orlando City was running away with the draws, with by far the most draws in MLS. And now all of a sudden, D.C. United also on 13 draws and L.A. Galaxy more than 13 draws. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're, this, is I mean, a, this is a league that doesn't like to have winners, and that's not good for the American uh, soccer audience who doesn't. Who, they don't like draws. They like to see a winner or a loser. So you know the growth of MLS, you could say, is in question because of that. But that's for the, that's a completely other discussion. Uh, yeah. You know, Columbus Crew has eleven draws. The Impact have eleven draws. Um, every other club in the East, or, or, you know, eight, nine, ten draws. So there was a point in the season where we were talking about Orlando City breaking the record that uh, Chicago Fire had in 2014 for the most draws in MLS history. And now I don't think it's going to get to that point. Uh, They'd have to draw every single game to break it, I think, or even just tie it. So, hey, at least that's a positive. They won't go down in infamy, (laughs) hopefully. Uh, But no, but they've they've been going down instead of going down in infamy. you know, I think I'd rather have draws the last two games than these losses, but uh, True. wasn't meant to be. All right, so Orlando City, D.C. United. We'll talk more about them later. We'll talk more about them with our with our guest coming up in just a bit. Let's turn our attention to the USL, which might be the second tier all by itself soon, the way that uh, the NASL has been going. Um, apparently two teams going bankrupt and two teams moving to the USL. Uh, from NASL, and that's not going to leave much uh, for the NASL to work with. So It's going to be crazy uh, when the Tampa Bay Rowdies are in USL <laughs> playing Orlando City B. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, the Orlando the, City is going to be in MLS just kind of looking down and laughing. Yeah, that's going to be – it's going to be interesting. Now, the, the the odd team out would be the Strikers, who are – apparently the Rowdies have been paying their, their payroll uh, part of this season. Um just a, a mess in the NASL, but the USL uh, is coming to an end. The regular season coming to an end very, very soon. Orlando City B is on an eight-game winless streak after a nine-game unbeaten streak, and they play at Bethlehem Steel to finish the season, clinging with just for dear life to that last playoff spot. Uh, Wilmington Hammerheads right there knocking on the door, and they have announced that they are not back next year. So. Uh, big emotional game for them. It would not be out of the realm of possibility for them to win in such an emotional fashion to try to get into the playoffs in their final season. And meanwhile, Orlando City needs a result. Orlando City B needs a result at Bethlehem, which is, is not a playoff team. But they've failed to get results against other non-playoff teams recently on this skid. Uh, what's going on with Orlando City B? Why have they struggled it can't just be Rocha and Ambrose moving up to the to the main team. They've had they've had MLS caliber players loaned to them, and they're just not getting any. They're just not scoring goals. What's going on? Yeah, I mean, again, the, the Ambrose and Rocha thing is part of it, um, and and they've had opportunities to score goals, plenty of opportunities at that. It's just they've just hit a really bad run of form. Just like you know, like you said, nine-game unbeaten streak a, a little while ago, and now an eight-game winless streak. It's, their season has just kind of followed that up and down slide, and, and it's it's really just kind of one of those uh, one of those things with a first-year uh, minor league team just trying to get the guys to gel, 
um, having the, the, the Rocha and Ambrose thing moving up and not having those guys to rely on has kind of tweaked things a little bit um, in just terms of mentally and, and having different personnel on the field. Uh, for younger guys like, um, you know, like Devron Garcia, who's only 19 years old, you know, sometimes just change and not having those kind of safety nets that you know you can rely on um, kind of just messes with you a little bit. And I'm not sure if it's that entirely. Uh, Coach Pulis has been very confident of, of the guys. He, he believes that they can, you know, win the games that they've been playing. It's just that, you know, some of the, the results have been very close, you know, one nothing, uh, 2-1 games. Uh, just recently, the, the game in Cincinnati in front of a, mm-hmm. a sold-out crowd that set another record for USL. You know, they only lost that one nothing off a, a goal in the 82nd minute. So they were close. You know, yeah, close. well, they've been close a lot on this on this streak. They've they've been close to getting results and close to getting wins that end up in ties, close to getting ties that end up in losses, uh, conceding you know after the 70th minute, I think three or four times at least on this run. So um, it's it's been a tough go for them, and I expected maybe a little bit better with you know regular appearances from Harrison Heath. Uh, they had a couple of appearances from Rafael Ramos on his uh, stint. Uh, his rehab stint, Pedro Ribeiro played for them. It seemed like they had talent there. It's just not translating into goals, and they're 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 not getting maybe some of the goalkeeping that they were getting earlier in the year. I think they've they've finally they've finally worn Mark Ridgers out a little bit. Um, yeah, but it's been, you know, it's been it, really tough for him to kind of keep up the production he had at points in yeah. the season. If he, you know, if they can come up with one effort though, just one effort, they're in the playoffs. And, you know, once you're in the playoffs, anything can happen. And uh, a team with, you know, a little bit of confidence and a good goalkeeper and uh, pretty solid defending for the most part, I think, is a team that can be dangerous in the postseason. So uh, we hope that OCB, the Young Lions, can uh, can get that done and uh, sneak into the postseason. And Because you know, right now, with the pride out and Orlando City below the line, OCB might be the only chance for playoff playoff soccer for the club uh, in 2016. Uh, speaking of the Pride finale, uh, the season finale coming up Saturday at Camping World Stadium. And uh, again, you're going to be on the call for YouTube. And uh, it's the last game for Becky Edwards, who uh, is calling it a career after seven years as a pro. Yeah, and they're actually going to be doing a uh, uh, an honoring of her before the game. Um, so that'll be, you know, right before the game, right before the national anthem, they're going to be honoring her career and, and giving her a little bit of recognition before her very last game. Uh, but, you know, I, w- I went to training yesterday with the pride, talked with uh, coach Sermani and Ashton Harris. And, uh, you know, obviously they really want to win one for the fans who have been coming out to games, showing their support, not only uh, at the games, but off the pitch, um, you know, showing up to the airport, welcoming them back from road trips, uh, you know, different events that they've had showing up to them. So they really want to just give a a win to the fans to kind of close out the season and, and send them uh, home happy until next year. Yeah. This is a team that uh, really got off to a good start. And uh, when the, when the players, the international players started to go away, um, it just, there just wasn't the depth there to uh, an experience. There was, there were depth and, and experience problems all over the field. Obviously when you take out international players, you're taking out, serious talent and uh you know playing you know many games with all three rookies on the field at the same time 
Um, that's not a recipe for success in in the league and uh, in any league. And um, you know, Orlando City B or Orlando's Pride, I'm sorry, had having the the slide at the end of the season. But they they are a talented team. Um, Alex Morgan, Ashlyn Harris. And, uh, you know, those defenders, they just need a little bit more help. Obviously, having Steph Catley out for the year didn't help uh, when she, you know, when once the Olympics were over. Um, because, in, you know, she was arguably the team MVP if Ashlyn Harris wasn't <clears throat> this season. Uh, Lisa Devana coming in uh, has fit very, very well. Uh, but she really had played two games without even getting a real training session uh, with the team. She she came in and, and joined the team the night before the you know, her first game and uh, at Sky Blue. And then uh, the day, then they had a game, then they had a, day, a travel day, then they had a light day the next day. And then again, Sky Blue, the next game, and she started. So uh, she's a player that's got a lot of talent, and she really gave that midfield a new look when she took the field with them against Sky Blue at Camping World Stadium. And uh, for the just the fact that she didn't really know her teammates or, or maybe – wasn't sure about the system and knowing where to go with the ball and where people like to get the ball. Uh, that was really the only, the, the final product was the only thing missing. She was really uh, dynamic and she can add a lot to this lineup and, and hopefully we'll see that on full display after she's had now two weeks to train with the team. Uh, hopefully we'll see that on Saturday. Um, Alex Morgan and Ashlyn Harris have just got back from international duty and uh, the U.S. women's national team uh, winning both games on their on their break, uh, they they annihilated Thailand in the first time those teams have ever met. And Alex came off the bench and had a brace. Ashlyn Harris got the clean sheet, and the team scored nine goals for number nine in the final game for uh, O'Reilly. And um, that was that was pretty emotional. I, I don't know if you watched that match, but I, you know it was a little dusty in here watching Hayo uh, hey come off. Yeah, no, uh, I didn't. I caught some of the highlights of the match. I forget what I was doing. I think I was doing another Rollins soccer game at the time, um, but I was I was catching up the, on the highlights and everything. So, you know, it's it's uh, emotional anytime someone retires. And and you know, speaking of the pride, Becky Edwards retiring. I'm sure her teammates are going to want to send her off with a win to end her mm-hmm. career. So that's just kind of added um, you know, motivation. So, so she wears number 14. So we can expect 14 goals. On Saturday, right? Uh, mm, I, Are you I, ready I would, to call 14 goals? Oh, my voice is going to be sore if that has to happen. <laughs> um, I wouldn't expect 14 goals. I would, you know, maybe expect three or four. Uh, Sky Blue, I believe they've clinched the playoff spot. Now this is FK, FC Kansas City will be the the opponent on Saturday. Who did I say? You said Sky Blue. That's who they just played back to back. Ah, right, right. FC Kansas City. It can be confusing because there's not that many teams in NWSL, so you know you're you're seeing them over and over. I mean, we saw the the Houston Dash four times this year. Very true. This is only the second time that um, that the Pride will be playing uh, FC Kansas City. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's kind of a rarity for them, I guess, to have to play only this team a second time. But um, you know, Kansas City, it, it, they have nothing to play for either, really. I mean, they're out of the playoffs, I believe. Um, yeah, they're, they're only two spots above the Orlando pride. So they're in sixth and the only top four make it. So, you know, it's just kind of, uh, one of those things, just like with the pride, they're going to be evaluating talent, see who they're going to keep, who they're going to let go. 
so you know you're going to have players playing for their roster spots next year. Sure. Uh, so for both sides, it's definitely going to be a. It's not going to be one of those games to just throw away and say, okay, the season's over. Let's just kind of move on and go to next year because you know p- players are playing for for their jobs next. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and and it's you know. <clears throat> An expansion year, you're always going to have a thin team. I, I think that the the team did a good job of going out and getting some some good pieces. I, I was surprised at how well uh, Kristen Edmonds played uh, for Orlando. I thought Jasmine Spencer played quite well. I mean, she still still could use some um, some finishing touch a little bit, but uh, she's she certainly can be a dynamic player and, and prove that she could be dangerous even when Alex Morgan is out of the lineup. Um, again, I said if Lisa Devana comes back next year. Uh, with the club, she is going to add something that that midfield's been missing, which is a player that can uh, hold possession in traffic and and make uh, make those darting little runs and and get the ball into the spaces where Alex Morgan likes them. Uh, so there's a lot of there's a lot of ability there. I, I think there were some players there this year that maybe didn't play up to where I thought they'd be. I thought I thought Becky Edwards would would provide more this year than maybe she has. And and again, may, I don't know if that's playing into her decision to to quit the game uh and call it a career but um i felt like uh, as a as a veteran presence and a player who's been around i mean she's won a u20 world cup and captained the u20 us team and and been a part of two uh championships in wps i thought that you know she might provide a little bit more um than what we've seen from her but but again it's it's also not just about one player soccer is a game where a player can look bad if the team around them is is not performing, and and I think that that may have been the case this year for Becky. And it, you know, we certainly wish her well. She was part of the inaugural year, and she'll forever be you know a member of the Pride. And and um, it, it should be a pretty emotional send off, and we'll uh, we'll see if her teammates can get her a W on Saturday night. So uh, with that, I guess we will bring in our guest, and uh, we will talk a little bit more about Orlando City at DC United. We'll do that right after this. Joining us this week on the Mainland Podcast, we're uh, happy to have with us Adam Taylor, editor over at Black and Red United, the SB Nation blog covering DC United. He's also the host of the Filibuster Podcast, which uh, they had me on their show this week, so you can go uh, find that. Adam, how are you this week? I'm I'm doing great, and you were a great guest for us. So hopefully, I can do as well as you did. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I'm I'm a very big stammerer, so it's really ridiculous that I even do a podcast. <laughs> so, uh, but I appreciate being on there. You guys are you guys are fun to hang out with and chat with. And uh, why don't you tell people uh, that are listening where they can find you and your work online? Yeah, BlackAndRedUnited.com is where the writing and Really, these days, more editing happens. Uh, I'm on Twitter also, at the underscore AMT. It's, a, uh, it's an old name that has an underscore in it for some reason that I have yet to come to terms with almost a decade <laughs> later. And uh, they can find the Filibuster podcast where? Uh, we, we hosted, uh, we, there's a link to every episode on Black and Red United, and it is on Twitter, at FilibusterDCU. All right. Well, Adam, uh, again, thanks for being with us, and we we will uh, we'll put you through the paces now. I want to start off by asking you 
about DC United's form this year. One of the few teams with fewer road wins than Orlando City. Uh, Orlando City with a mighty two uh, road victories this year. Uh, but also, DC has not been quite as stout at home as in years past at RFK, with uh, I believe four home losses this year. What is the what is the makeup of this year's team? Because it seems like it went from you know one of the stronger teams in the Eastern Conference to that you know hovering around that that red line uh, pretty quickly. Yeah, it actually kind of started at the end of last year, and this whole season, DC United uh, just. It's a statistical anomaly, but it really kind of sums up their year. They have yet to win or lose two games in a row this entire season. They just, they, they've drawn multiple games in a row, but everything seems to come back to zero at the end of the day. There's positives, and then they come back. There's negatives, and it comes back. Uh, they just keep hovering right around the origin. And I think that's a little bit emblematic of this being a transition year. Uh, the last couple years, they've been very much a defense-first kind of team, limit the quality of shots, let you shoot from distance, let you get as many numbers forward as you want, but you're not going to really break down the defense with any kind of regularity. And this year, now that there's a creative presence in, in the form of Luciano Acosta in the midfield, they've completely retooled their system, playing a 4-3-3, 4-1-4-1 instead of a, uh, the, the classic flat 4-4-2 that Ben Olsen became so known for over the last few years. And the result has been better chances for goals for the opposition, but also a much better attack for D.C. United. Uh, the problem is that, that finishing has been an issue, and D.C. United has gone from a team that can win one nothing games if they can score a goal to a team that will get to two and needs to get to three if they're going to win. It's a real kind of even though it's ha developed over the course of the year it still gives you whiplash a little bit if you have been a fan of dc for any length of time so now you talked a little bit about uh, luciano acosta who just made the the 24 under 24 list for mls he came in at number 14 um and you mentioned kind of the the stagnation in, in the attack and it's a fairly new attack coming into this year i mean you've got guys like patrick niarco lamar nagel uh, patrick mullins who've all come in uh, just this year and have started playing meaningful minutes for D.C. United. How has it been the, the change from last year to this year in terms of the, the personnel, uh, and how do you feel that's kind of worked out? Well, I think on the attacking end, there's no question it's worked out really well. Last year and the year before was, especially the year before, 2014 was really built around this alchemy of Fabiana Spindola and Chris Rolfe playing together up top. Um, and, and that came in the beginning of 2015, too, was really about those two and the movement problems that they created for defenses, trying to track them, because they both pop up in non-traditional spots, and neither of them is a real traditional center forward. So you combine that with outside midfielders that can get forward and pinch in and a central midfield that sits very deep, and that was the story of D.C. United last year. They really relied on moments of magic. Uh, to create any kind of offense. This year, with Niarco on the outside, Nagel and Lloyd Sam joining the team now on the outside, the piece they were missing was a center forward who can hold up the ball, be goal dangerous, and combine. And with Patrick Mullins, they, they got him. They got the guy they were needing. And for a few games, the, the front four of Niarco, 
Sam Mullins and Acosta were just incredible. They were, they were lights out. They were as good as any attack in the league and hanging six goals on the fire, I think is it's the fire, but hanging six goals on anybody is, uh, is still something that, that is not particularly easy to do. So I think it's worked out really well. The trick is balancing that new attack with some, with bringing in some of the, the defensive sturdiness that, that we've become accustomed to. Now, obviously the team is, is um, you know, still the spine of the team is still really solid with, with Hamid playing behind uh, those, those center backs, uh, particularly Birnbaum. Uh, you know, with a, with a defense like that, it just seems to me like this would be a, a team that would have more success once the offense picked up than what it's seen. And, and again, you, you know, you, you talked about the fact that, that, you know, you haven't lost two in a row, haven't won two in a row. And I, and I looked at this today and I thought the last six games, DC United only won one win, but also only one loss in those last six games. Are United fans seeing a team that's won only once in their last six games? Are they seeing it, or, or is it uh, is it more of a half full or a half empty glass for for longtime DC United fans? Uh, I'm going to go full DC on you, and you should never go full DC, but I'm going to. <laughs> and and quote Toby Ziegler from the West Wing. I think we all agree that half empty or, or half full, that there's a half of the glass that can still be filled. Um, it's good that, that we are half full. I think most, I, I guess to turn your question around, most of us seem to be seeing a team that's drawn four of their last six games. Um, and and it's, it's interesting because in one of those games, the one game we lost, in fact, was 70 minutes of the best soccer DC United has played all year uh, against NYCFC and then 20 minutes of just chaos that did not go our way. And the last three games have all been draws, uh, or I guess the last three draws, I should say, rather, have have been come from behind um, and included stoppage time goals. I think Stephen Streff on Black and Red United pointed out to us in our, our Slack channel that United has scored four goals in stoppage time or four goals after the 88th minute in the last three games and has two points to show for it. The the problem is that they, they can turn it on um, especially when they get burn bomb forward and find him on set pieces, but they just have been making kind of silly mistakes in the back and have been forced to pay for it. I think some of that goes to the midfield Marcelo Sarvas has been fantastic with the ball at his feet this year, uh, playing that number six role. But when we don't have the ball, he is not a guy who's going to track runners with the greatest discipline. And he's, he's managed to, I think he's take, getting blood transfusions from Davey Arno because he manages to get <laughs> stuck in when the ball is, when the, the opponents try to bring the ball through the center, he gets, stuck in and he fouls when he has to and he he tackles harder than I've ever seen him tackle even in Colorado but when it comes to a team that's a little more cerebral and a little more creative they can pass around him and he's not always going to track runners and I think that's been a problem this year so now Adam going back to what you said about Steve Berenbaum he's kind of come around as of late uh, the past two years really uh, now getting minutes with the U.S. men's national team, uh, getting some overseas looks. Uh, how important has he been for this, the spine of your defense, uh, as well as set pieces on offense, like you mentioned? Oh, he's been, he's been critical. He's absolutely vital. And uh, word today, um, 
or I guess yesterday from Paul Tenorio up in Chicago that, that Werder Bremen in Germany is added their names to the the list of clubs sniffing around. There's a couple teams in Israel also uh, have been inquiring after even making bids uh, that were low ball bids to be sure for Birnbaum. But uh, interest across the pond is is pretty strong, and he's got another year in his contract, but uh, he might be might not be long for MLS, which is a problem for DC United because he is one of the first names on the team sheet in ink or Sharpie every single week. And it's, it's because he's a beast in the air on both sides of the ball. Um, I think one of the things that got him into the national team picture and that has improved even more since his first cap is his aerial prowess at the offensive end. At the defensive end, he was always great at eating up any cross that came his way and making sure he beat his man. He won that battle at a rate that's uh, probably top two or three in MLS. Now he's doing the same thing at the offensive end, and not just winning headers, but putting them on frame or laying them off for teammates and creating chances there. The other thing is he's the he's got underrated pace, I would say. He's quicker than he looks, um, and, and that's important when Bobby Boswell – is your your defensive partner. So Boswell is 33. He's on the, the back end of his career, and he was never fast to begin with. He's a guy who plays completely with his head, and he's built a career out of it, and there's only so far anybody can go before the physical side starts declining beyond what the, the mind can can overcome. So Birnbaum has, has saved us a couple of times on that, uh, when when Boswell just his foot speed isn't quite there, uh, but he's he he's just vital to this team. Adam, with this attack and and you know I was a big fan of of the the Lloyd Sam signing. I thought that was a a terrific signing for DC. Uh, you know, uh, some fairly dynamic players. You know, in that DC attacking group. How would you, if you were Jason Kreiss and your team has just shipped eight goals in two games, how would you go about defending the DC United attack? What's the what's the key to stopping that? At this point, I would say, and I, I hate myself for saying this, have your midfielders and defenders just kick Lucio and Acosta. Just kick Acosta until he's down because the referees aren't going to protect him, and they haven't been at all this year. And it's been a problem. He's been fouled off the field a couple of times, including in that NYCFC game. Um, you just, you, anytime he touches the ball, you knock him down. He's five foot three. He's hard to, to get close to, but when you do just kick him and he'll, he'll go down. And without him, United's attack really, really stalls. And if the refs are, are, are actually calling it and actually protecting him, DC United can still be had on the counter from time to time and you wait for Marcelo to kind of void that central channel and you run right at the, the center backs, especially Boswell um, because one-on-one he's not going to be able to, to stop you. So Adam, let's, let's talk a little bit about the history between these two clubs. Uh, last year, these two teams played three times this year. It's only going to be two, but uh, you know, DC got uh, got the best of Orlando a few times. The first matchup that they played in MLS uh, came away with a 90th minute uh, winner, and then uh, yeah, they had uh, from Luis Silva. 
after they, they, in a game United had no business winning, but that was kind of the MO for, for 2014 and 2015. Yeah, and then Orlando City uh, in in Washington, D.C., lost 2-1. Uh, Irelia and Colin went out with injury, and then D.C. scored two goals almost instantaneously. And then Orlando pulled out uh, a one nothing win in Orlando uh, back in June. So it's it's been kind of a mixed series, uh, but D.C.'s gotten the better of it. How do you think this one's going to be playing out? It's it's tough. It really depends, I think, in large part on which version of DC United actually shows up. Um, the game against Chicago, we they got out with a point, but it was really a lackluster performance, and the midfield in particular just showed no urgency. And I think um, some other folks put it correctly when they said it was a very un. DC United kind of performance from the midfield and they turned it on at the end and managed to get a point, but it felt like they just weren't up for the game either because they were looking forward to the Orlando game, which will have much more bearing on the playoff race than a game in Chicago, or they were just looking past Chicago because they're the fire and they haven't been a good team for a long time. Now I think we'll get the team that's up for this, this weekend and I think that's good for DC United, especially in front of a, a home crowd that hasn't seen a game in several weeks because the team's been on the road so much recently. So I think we'll see DC United show up and and push for an early goal and, if need be, push for a late goal. But uh, I, I'm optimistic DC United will get the better out of this matchup anyway. Whether that's true for the return match in October, I guess, remains to be seen. Well, I watched that Chicago DC game, and I could tell you that uh, if I were DC, I would I wouldn't worry too much about Chicago either because they had, uh, by my count, about a half a dozen golden chances to put that game away and decided not to, and then they decided they would play the entire last 12 minutes in their own third without doing anything but playing kickball, and, uh, you and know, even that, that goal happened a goal at one point. Yeah, that goal just seemed like it was always coming from DC, and, and especially when. Uh, I can't remember who it was for Chicago, but they were basically set up with a sitter and I think skied it over the bar from just above the six-yard box uh, off on a compass. I can't remember who it was, but, man, it was just it was like, are you kidding me? It might have been Solignac. Uh But, uh, yeah, it was – It was uh, as, a, as someone that supports a team that needed D.C. to lose that game, it was a bit frustrating to watch, but uh, – <laughs> Uh, it turned out not to matter much when you uh, when you saw what Orlando City did against uh, Columbus Crew on Saturday night. Uh, Adam, before we let you get out of here, going to have to get your key matchup of the game and your your predicted uh, final score. What what do you think is the key matchup that will tilt this contest one way or the other? Well, I think Jason Kreis is probably going to have Kaká flare out to the left a fair amount in this game because. Sean Franklin is going to be out at right fullback for DC United. And Luke Mishu has not looked particularly good in, in that position. He had a great assist to David Villa in the NYCFC game uh, playing left back. Um, obviously that was not a good play. And he just, he, he's looked kind of like he's in his own head and he's just not confident. He may or may not play it right back in this game. Whoever plays, right back though I think Jason Christ is likely and would be wise to focus on that 
uh, focus Kaka there, focus Kyle Laren uh, coming in kind of a left-to-right to run um, from the Orlando perspective. I think that matchup next to Steve Birnbaum is going to be really critical, and so that's the one I would pick. All right, and your final score prediction? Final score. I said D.C. United is a team that needs to score a third goal to win, and I, uh, I don't think you'll ship four. This week, I think D.C. United will get the third goal, though. Three to one, United. Well, that makes me sad, and now I want to go drink. Uh, but, you know, that's the life of an Orlando City fan this year. Uh, it was interesting listening to you talk about the, the draws, because we, w- we went through that early in the year. The Orlando City was on pace, obviously, for a new MLS record for draws, but the, they've, they've since calmed that down a bit and uh, allowed... Uh, DC not not only DC to catch up but LA to get ahead in the, the, the draws department. So uh, yeah, yeah it, it can be a little bit. A, <laughs> I'm lucky we got a draw last week because it means a win is possible this week. Uh, well, um, you know Orlando City was coming off those two pretty impressive wins against New York City FC and Montreal, and then imploded. So it's uh, you know it's one of those things where. The team is still getting used to Jason Kreiss, and uh, Jason Kreiss is still getting used to his players. And it's maybe it's a step forward and a step back, a two steps forward and two steps back. But it it seems like uh, there's really no margin for error for Orlando City, and and it looks like DC is running out of margin for error as well. So this should be an interesting matchup uh, on Saturday at the, at RFK. We're looking forward to to seeing what happens and who comes out on top, if anyone. Uh, with 13 draws each, uh, I think that the the, the opportunity for another draw between these these teams is probably pretty high. Uh, but Adam Taylor, um, host of the Filibuster podcast and editor over at Black and Red United, thanks so much for uh, coming on the Mainland Podcast with us, and uh, we uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks for having me. Look forward to it. Well, we are almost out of time on uh, episode number 66 of the Mainland Podcast. I want to thank our guest once again, Adam Taylor from Black and Red United. He's an editor over there, and uh, they are they do fine work um, over at SB Nation's uh, uh, DC United site. Uh, one of the they're one of the top blogs in MLS, and uh, you know, along with the Mainland, uh, we're always I think these two these two blogs seem to always be in the top five for page views for, among the MLS sites. So. Um, you know, they're, we have a lot of respect for what they do over there. They do a great job, and, uh, and I really enjoy working with their, their writers uh, and, and, and their podcasters. So we appreciate Adam coming on the show, sharing his expertise about DC United, and we'll have to have him back uh, for the return leg. Uh, Austin David, before we get out of here, we've got to give our key matchups and predictions for this weekend against DC United. Uh, what's your key matchup? What's your final score prediction? Go. I'm going to say Steve Bierenbaum versus Kyle Laren. Uh, I'm in, I'm interested to see how Kyle Laren responds to playing a you know a, the kind of defender that Steve Bierenbaum is. Um, I have a feeling they're just going to be matched up against each other, and and Bierenbaum's sole purpose is going to kind of just be to shut him down, uh, especially on on headers and and crosses into the box. If if Orlando City can actually get crosses into the box, that's that's going to be another question. But, um, you know, Laren's got, what, 14 goals on the season. Uh, he's still three shy of his total last year. He's probably going to want to add to that. And if he scores, or you know, Orlando City's got some sort of chance to, to pull a result out of the game. So 
Uh, that's my matchup to watch. And your score line prediction. Hey. Well, luckily for me, I'm probably going to miss the first half of the game, so hopefully it's not too bad. Uh, I'm going to say, uh, since both teams really need a result, and DC's at home, and they they you know they play better at home than they do away from home, I'm going to say 3-1 DC. So you agree with Adam on a 3-1 final score? Yeah, I was going to say 2-1, but then I'm like, eh, they'll probably score another. <laughs> All right, my key matchup for Saturday night's game is going to be uh, the, and this is a little bit of a cop-out, I guess, but for me, the big question mark is how is the back six going to play, assuming Jason Christ sticks with 4-2-3-1 formation with two defensive midfielders in front of the back four. Uh, So I would say the Orlando City back six against the four attacking players for uh, DC United. That is my key matchup because this team has been shipping goals like crazy, allowing runners in behind them. Guys like uh, Acosta, guys like Mullins, guys like uh, Sam can get into those spaces and exploit them if they're there. So it's really, to me, that's it's very important that this team has learned from the last two games and and can recognize when those runs are coming and to be aware of them and to communicate, uh, you know, better in, in the defensive uh, part of the field. And, and I think that if Antonio Nocherino can go, that'll be a big help because he's really been very, very good since Jason Christ took over in helping to stop those types of things from happening. Uh, he's been a very good communicator. He's done a good job of getting into passing lanes. And uh, I think that, that if he can go and, and at least – give you 60 minutes i think it's going to go a long way toward orlando city having a better outcome that said it's hard to win at rfk so uh despite the the key matchup even if it goes in orlando's favor i think that again both teams have 13 draws this year i think that each team picks up its 14th and i think orlando city only ships two goals this week and somehow scores two and i think it's a 2-2 draw on the road, which is probably not the worst result, but uh, it's not the result that Orlando City needs. They need three points anytime they go out nowadays, and um, I think they only get one on Saturday night at RFK. So, uh, you got any thoughts on that? No, nah, not really. I agree. <laughs> All right. So, um, you know, I'm being a little bit more optimistic than normal, maybe with the with the draw prediction on the road because the team has not performed on the road very well this year uh but you know it seems like they've played better against the teams that they didn't play as well against last year to me and and i think that this is one of those things for example they they beat toronto for the first time after just being miserable against toronto last year so maybe this is an opportunity to go get their first result at uh, at RFK. And I think that you know Adam was absolutely right. That game that DC won, one to nil with the stoppage time free kick, uh, Orlando City completely dominated that game and had nothing to show for it. And they were playing very very well in that that loss uh, that first loss at RFK when the when Colin went out, the team was playing very very well. And as soon as he went out. Uh, being replaced by Tyler Turner, I believe, uh, as a center back, that that was never going to work. So uh, I think maybe they they go on the road and, and maybe can get a draw out of this game, and that's that's my prediction. And of course, our predictions uh, are never to be wagered on here at uh, the Mainland Podcast. <laughs> so, again, any final thoughts, uh, Austin, on uh, Orlando City at DC, or maybe 
on OCB at Bethlehem Steel? Uh, tune in to me as I commentate on the pride. <laughs> That's all I got to say. Um, yeah, see, I, I, I set you up for that. Yeah, I, I hope for, for a win for OCB because at, at this point it looks like they're going to be the only team who has a chance of making the playoffs out of the three Orlando soccer teams. That would be nice. Uh, they're clinging to the slimmest of margins. If they can win the game, they clinch. If they can draw, they have a, they still have a pretty decent chance as Wilmington is playing Richmond. But, again, Wilmington may be playing a little bit more, uh, a little bit over their heads with the emotion of knowing that they're not playing USL soccer in Wilmington next well, year. Well, the nice thing about that is that Wilmington and Richmond play Saturday and OCB plays Sunday. So they'll know the result of the Wilmington mm-hmm. game going into their game against uh, Bethlehem on Sunday, so they'll know what they have to do and go out and hopefully do it. That's true. They'll know what they need, which is always, uh, I mean, it's good to know what you need, but it sometimes can get in your head, too, so it's uh, its not always a great thing to know what you need. It's That's why, you know, so many teams or so many leagues around the world play their final games all at the same time, so it's like, okay, you don't, you don't necessarily know what's going on, although, you know, I'm sure that the score lines get uh, get brought, you know get make their way down to the field at some point but um, uh, OCB needs to win to, to assure themselves of playing postseason soccer and uh, you know good luck to Anthony Pillis and his group and um, you know hopefully Michael Cox can score a couple goals uh, against Bethlehem and, and push the team into the playoffs on a high note because even if they get in after a, if they drew if they would were to lose or draw and get into the playoffs anyway, that's not a team that's confident going into the postseason. Yeah, and it's also so. going to be a team playing against. Pro- I mean, if they get in as the eighth seed, they'll be playing the top seed. So, yeah, eh, that's how it works. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's going to be a hard ask because it's going to be away from home. Any game that, yeah. that OCB would play in the playoffs would be away from home uh, against a very good team. So, uh, just getting just getting into the playoffs would be kind of a moral victory and be like, hey, you know, first year we're already in the playoffs. Just wait yeah, until well, next year. Orlando City's never failed to make the USL playoffs. Yeah, that, that, that's true. That is true. So, good luck, B. Good luck, OCB. All the pressure in the uh, world. Orlando, we'll be back next week to uh, to cover that and to uh, talk about the Pride's finale against uh, FC Kansas City and also to break down Orlando City at DC United. And uh, it'll be, um, you know, tight fixtures coming up again because midweek next week, uh, Toronto on the road. So um, the, the rugged September is coming, drawing to a close with four out of five games on the road. And, uh, you know, maybe some brighter things are ahead for Orlando city. If they can keep their, if they can stay in touch with, with the revs and, and with that red line, then, uh, you know, maybe they can still put something together for the end of the season with uh, a couple of home games uh, coming up. So, uh, but that will do it for episode number 66 of the mainland podcast. I appreciate you checking in with us uh, please if you like what you hear go to itunes and leave us uh, some positive feedback some comments for us um, and uh, of course read what we write at the mainland.com that's t-h-e-m-a-n-e-l-a-n-d uh, follow us on twitter at the mainland again main spelled like a lion's mane not like main street and uh, you can please uh, also like us on facebook uh, that will do it for episode 66 on behalf of senior columnist Austin David, I am Michael Citro, the founder and managing editor of The Mainland, signing off saying, Go City.